Welcome to Voices of Nature. I'm Bob Ludke, an advisor to Global Conservation Corps and the creator of the Voices of Nature podcast. Voices of Nature is dedicated to sharing the voices of innovative, passionate leaders committed to saving and protecting the world's most threatened natural resources. In today's episode, we're speaking with Aristide Kamla Takukam, a National Geographic Society explorer. The National Geographic Society is a global nonprofit that uses the power of science, exploration, education, and storytelling to illuminate and protect the wonder of our world. The Society funds a number of international community explorers like Aristide who are working to safeguard the world's oceans for generations to come. Aristide also is the founder and director of the African Mammal Conservation Organization, which conducts research and conservation projects with African manatees, sea turtles, and other freshwater wildlife. Aristide is joining us today from Cameroon, and we are thrilled to have him be part of Voices of Nature. Aristide, welcome. And like I said, we're really excited to have you part of the podcast today. Hey, thank you, Bob. It's a pleasure for me to, uh, to be invited uh, here and uh, I'll be happy to, you know, to share about uh, the work I'm doing uh, with the African manatee. So before we talk about the manatees and the, the state of, of the environment and nature in West Africa, just tell us a little bit about your background and, and why you decided to commit your career to mammal conservation. So I was born in Cameroon, in the capital city called Douala, but I grew up in the mountain area of the country, the West region, uh, where I completed the most part, the major part of my academic curricula, from the primary school till I completed my bachelor and master degree at the University of Chang in the field of animal biology. Then after that, I moved to the U.S. Uh, thanks to the scholarship, the Fulbright scholarship that I obtained and also the WCS scholarship that allowed me to complete my PhD degree at the University of Florida uh, in the field of uh, veterinary medicine. And my study there was focused on studying the genetic uh, habitat and diet of the African manatee, uh, which I completed recently, I mean, two, two year, almost two years ago now, I graduated in 2019. My first encounter with the African manatee was really a matter of faith. I never heard about the African manatee before uh, until um, we were giving an assignment when I was doing my master's degree. We were giving an assignment on literature review, and there were a list of topics that a student were to pick. And it was first come, first serve, but since I was sick, that day, I could only pick the subject that was left, and that subject was uh, the territorial review on the aquatic megafauna of Cameroon, because my friend has already picked the, you know, the famous topic like about the elephant, lions, you know, all these emblematic species. Uh, so I was left with that topic, and I had to go and do literature review about it. So this is where I came across the African manatee. I was, I never, I didn't even know that such a species exists. And, uh, and that really generated my curiosity, and I wanted to learn more about this species. And this is how I decided for my master research to go to the field and uh, and see uh, what is going on with the species 
And I found out that they were seriously threatened. And this is where I decided to dedicate my career to study the, the animal. And that's why, and this is also where I decided to also create an NGO called the uh, AMCO, the African Marine Mammal Conservation Organization, uh, in order to uh, you know change the threat that is impacting this animal. That's a, a wonderful story. And it has so many interesting facets that we're going to to explore in this conversation. But I just, I first want to start, maybe you're the first kind of person with a background in, in marine biology, veterinary medicine, focused on, on the oceans and the aquatic kind of, shall we say, infrastructure of West Africa. Could you just tell us a little bit about the, the state of nature in West Africa, particularly the regions near the, the ocean? Yeah, in, in general, the situation in, uh, uh, in West Africa is, uh, you know, the nature is still doing uh, well, but uh, the, the risk of uh, degradation of the nature is still very high because of the increasing population uh, along the coast. There's uh, more coastal development going, going on with the increase of the, the human population size. Uh, there are mangroves that are uh, being uh, cut down, you know, for constructions, and uh, we're seeing more and more, the more we see the mangroves decreasing and mangroves key habitat for coastal areas. And we see also a lot of construction of uh, mega infrastructure going on, such as deep sea ports that are being constructed. There was one that was constructed in Cameroon uh, just uh, you know a couple of years ago, and it's still uh, the construction is still uh, going on. And this kind of infrastructure, you know, if not well planned, can have a serious impact on the uh, on the coastal habitat and uh, also on the, the wildlife that is that is living there. And we have a lot of other human exploitation, such uh, such as uh, in gas mining or exploitation at the coastal area. With uh, you know, we recently. Uh, Two days ago, uh, we heard a situation of a mass stranding of dolphin along the coast of Ghana. And it's true, we don't know yet what has been the cause of that, uh, but it's probably due to, you know, human activity on the ocean. So the situation uh, overall, you know, is uh, is degradating. Uh, and if we don't do something very quick, uh, we might experience uh, a very catastrophic situation in the nearest future. I mean, do you feel that the, you know, all the economic development, the big infrastructure projects uh, that you talked about have a lot of support, be it from the public or, or elected officials, and, and people are wanting economic development at the expense of nature? Or do you, get, do you have the sense that people are, are now starting to make their voice heard and, and, and saying that there must be a balance between protecting the nature, protecting these very important mangroves that you mentioned, and balanced economic development, balanced infrastructure projects, and so on. So for, uh, my feeling is that uh, there is an increasing number of people who think that there should be a balance between uh, economic development you know, and nature preservation. But even though the, this number is increasing, it's still very low compared to this, uh, the majority of people who, want, uh, people who only care about economic development. Taking the example of um, you know, hydroelectrical dam construction, 
In Africa, uh, there's still very few people who has access to electricity. So the priority tend to be the building of uh, infrastructure that will produce electricity for the uh, for the development of the you know of the economy of the country uh, or of the continent. And uh, most of the time, because we are under this pressure of economic development, that we don't think about the impact that it may have. On, on wildlife or on nature. So I believe that uh, we still have to a, a huge work of uh, educating the community governments about the importance of also taking into account the interests of nature and wildlife because if we have, we can we develop, develop the entire coast of Africa and there is no, no wildlife, uh, I think we will all be miserable because our life depends on the wildlife as well. Yeah, that's it. That's a great point. And so now that you've you mentioned the, the wildlife, you touched on the, the manatees and the, your work um, with them and your study of other species such as the sea turtles. Talk about how these these really interesting and neat creatures interact with nature. You know, what what are they like? What do they live on? You know, what are the threats that they face and, and so on? Yeah, the, the main threat to aquatic uh, wildlife in Africa is hunting, poaching, and accidental catch in fishing net. And um, that's mostly the case with the African manatee and sea turtles. Uh, for the African manatee, they spend most of their time on the, you know, in the inland water, such as rivers, uh, lakes, uh, lagoons, where they have plenty access to the, you know, to plants and also to fresh water. Uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the marine water of Cameroon is too uh, kind of dark and doesn't sustain enough sea grasses for manatee to, you know, to, to spend their time there. I mean, this is mostly the case for Cameroon, but in the northern coast uh, towards uh, Senegal, I think they may they have uh, some clear water there and you may have uh, manatees spending a lot of time in the marine area. But in Cameroon, they spend, in, and Gabon, they spend very less time in the marine area because there's not enough food there. And uh, uh, they prefer to spend the time in the fresh in the fresh water system to have access to the food. Uh, and for the uh, sea turtles, they, you know, they, usually spend time on the coastal area where there's uh, coral reef and sea grasses. And uh, especially on the northern part of Cameroon, we've been seeing a lot of green sea turtles uh, over there. Uh, and also they're using the beach for their nesting, for nesting activities. And unfortunately, uh, when they come to, to nest, you have uh, some, uh, you know, uh, what I would call uh, predation on the nest. Uh, occasion by uh, the local community, they will uh, wait for the turtle to come on the beach, and they will catch the turtle. Sometimes the females, the, the nesting female, and the eggs, and that's why we are, are trying to educate the community. You know, to explain to them that this is wrong, and uh, they could, you know, they can release the sea turtle. I'd like to pick up on your your very first uh, comment about the manatees and, and explore it a bit further of of the biggest threat uh, facing the manatees being poaching because in previous episodes of the podcast, we've talked about the threats of poaching tigers in South Africa, the threats of poachers to uh, the elephants, the rhinos and so on. And 
in those regions of the world, the poachers are, you know, they're organized crime syndicates, right? They're better armed um, than most of the, the militaries in these countries, certainly better armed and equipped than the rangers uh, charged with protecting the, the wildlife. Is the, is the poaching and are the, the poachers at that level of organization and sophistication in West Africa, or is it much more of a, a kind of an informal, loosely knit group of poachers who just do it almost to, to you know, help subsist and, and add to their, their economic uh, situation? Yeah, for, for the case of the African manatee, I would say that, you know, the uh, people uh, hunting the manatee are not as uh, well organized as people, as the, you know, people who go after the elephants, you know. Uh, usually, I think it's, uh, it happened more occasionally, you know, because uh, the African manatee is very hard to see. Uh, they live in a very, uh, you know, dark water and uh, uh, even we researcher to see them is very challenging. Uh, so usually what will happen is that uh, the fishermen uh, will set the net and sometimes uh, uh, the net is just for the fish, but accidentally the fish, uh, the net will capture the manatee and they won't release the manatee because they will say, uh, you know, they, it will be uh, a way for them to compensate for the uh, there are nets that was been previously destroyed by other manatees, or they would say, "Oh, it's a gift of God." Uh, so it's not. It's usually fishermen who are, are causing the, you know, who are uh, who are hunting the African manatee, and there is mostly most of the time is for uh, local consumption. Uh, trading of on the African manatee is not. Uh, uh, that high, I mean, it may happen maybe very in the dark market, but it's not something that has been uh, has been quite uh, serious at the moment. So we were talking a little bit about this before we, we started the podcast, which is that here in the U.S., uh, in Florida in particular, the manatees are under severe threat at the moment due to pollutants in the water and declining food sources, the, the seagrasses that they eat on and in fact, there's been over 370 manatees discovered to have, have died just in the first three months of the year. Is the, the kind of the environmental uh, situation or the, you know, the risk to ecosystems in Cameroon as serious as it is here in the United States? Also, I, we have a, a situation that is uh, kind of similar here in Cameroon. Uh, the, the case of Lake Osa, for example, in 2006 and 17, there has been a plant, an invasive plant species called uh, Salvinia molesta, or uh, the giant Salvinia, it's an aquatic fern, uh, that just suddenly started proliferating uh, over the surface of the lake, and today it's occupying almost 50% uh, of the uh, of the water surface there. And that Lekosa is used to be known as uh, the African manatee hotspot. But today uh, we are having the population of African manatee in the lake has drastically decreased, I would say by at least uh, 80% because of that plant. Uh, it's true it's not killing the manatee, otherwise we will have seen a lot of carcasses around, but I believe it's really, um, you know, uh, lowering the quality of the habitat for the species that they are obliged to move to a different area where they will have uh, better, uh, better quality habitat. So building on that, 
you do a lot of work in the communities uh, in Cameroon, near where you live, to try and find a balance between the, the people who work in nature for a living, the fishermen you just mentioned, and the habitats that they depend on for their economic uh, subsistence, the manatees, and how are you, how are you finding a, a balance between, again, kind of human, human economic development, meeting human needs, and protecting and preserving nature for future generations? Yeah, so uh, when, when our approach with, uh, with humanity conservation is what we call community-based conservation. It means uh, we do not just protect the African manatee, but we do also care about um, the well-being of the local community. That means we go towards them and try to understand their motivation of killing, uh, killing manatee and see how we could find an alternative. Uh, for example, uh, we in the community where we are, are protecting the African manatee in Zisangi uh, around the Likosa, we found that you know because of the Salvinia, uh, the fishermen was having less fish. Therefore, we decided to train them into uh, an alternative livelihood. I mean, something an activity other than fish, a fishing activity. So this is how we were able to we train. Uh, about uh, 25 men and 25 women on uh, snail farming, uh, mushroom farming, uh, so that you know they could uh, make an additional income uh, doing this activity, and they will not depend so much on the fish on fisheries, which is impacting the African manatee, and also which is already depleting. Uh, so that's the way we find, you know, we try to create a balance between, uh, you know, the need of the local community and the need to protect this wildlife. And the community is receiving it very positively. And we have seen a, a very a drastic decrease in manatee hunting uh, in Lake Osa. I remember when I was starting conservation work there, it was frequent to see the African manatee meet in restaurant over there. But today is is extremely rare to see manatee meat being sold in restaurants. So I feel like the, the people are receiving the message and now they are kind of coexisting. Uh, uh, there's a good coexistence between uh, manatee and fishermen, even though there's still a lot of work to, to do. That's really wonderful to hear. And, and just explain a bit more. You said that the, you know, the communities are really positively receiving this type of, uh, shall we say, diversification, right? Of, of finding new ways to earn a living, yet protect nature, protect the ecosystems. Why, why is that? Like, why, why do they want to do this? So the, the, the reason they, they want to do that is because uh, they understood that they cannot only, you know, doing only for fishing, they cannot uh, make a suf sufficient income because the population of fish is really decreasing. And because um, with the occurrence of these invasive plant species, they're seeing less and less fish. 
And this is where now they understood that it's important to diversify their income activities. And uh, and we went to them and, and asked them, you know, what do you want to do? We didn't impose the activity to them. They were the one to tell us, uh, we want to do this, we want to do that. And our role is just to accompany them, to coach them, to provide them uh, the resources that they need to diversify their, their activity. and. In the beginning, you know, when we were working in the Lake Osa, in Lake Osa, they thought that we wanted to protect the manatee uh, at their detriment uh, and making them lose. No, we t- we had to make them understand it's not just manatee; it's about everybody. It's about the whole ecosystem. We care about the manatee. We care about the habitat. We care also about uh, people. And uh, and they are now seeing that our message is not just word, and that we really care for them. And because of that, they are kind of more sensitive, more uh, receptive to our conservation messages. So really the biggest, maybe most important lesson here is that if you are truly concerned about protecting nature and, and really interested in finding a way to, again, balance human human economic development, human needs with the needs of nature, you really need to find a solution that comes from the local communities and not not come in as an outsider and impose your ideas on them and instead. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the key. And because uh, at the beginning, you know, we were doing things the wrong way. We came as researchers, people who, uh, you know, super knowledgeable about African manatee. We didn't care about uh, the community, and there were the, the the results was you know was really uh, catastrophic. Until we understood the importance of involving the community uh, in our activity to let them you know to make them understand what we are doing, to understand what they want, and you know, to take that into consideration into the action plans, you know, of the action plans that uh, we, are, we we deploy in the area. And it's only when we did that that we started seeing uh, success. And you have on your, your website, Aristide, the, the African Mammal Conservation Organization website, a lot of examples of your work. So if if others listening to this podcast are interested in you know, replicating or scaling some of the work that you've done wherever it is they're living, um, they can see they can see how you've approached this and how you've engaged with the communities, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and and one of the uh, great example I would like to share with you is the fisherman in in uh, on the northern coast of Cameroon, Ilimbe. I uh, say sixty years old. Uh, he used to be a sea turtle, uh, you know. I mean, he was not really a hunter, but he, whenever we see a turtle, he will catch them and he will feed them and eat with the family. Uh, but since the moment we integrated him into our education and citizen science uh, program, he was able to change his mind. And today he's a great advocate uh, for the protection of sea turtles. Uh, and we, since three or four years that we are working together, he alone has saved about 14 sea turtles. And when he does that, he also is share the information, I mean, what he's doing with his children. And we can see that how he's passing on the message 
to the next generation. He's uh, showing now the positive way of doing th the good way of doing things to his children. I was very uh, amazed by this image of him trying to save uh, sea turtles eggs on the beach because his house is just near the beach. He was protecting the sea turtle eggs so that other people around should not come and dig it up. And while he was doing that, his children was there seeing how he was doing it. And I just feel so, uh, you know, so uh, happy seeing uh, this happening. It means that our message has been heard and also the next generation is getting it. And how did you change his mind, right? I mean, the, the easiest thing would have been for him to continue doing what he was doing, you know, hunting at a, at a low level, but hunting nevertheless for the sea turtles. But something had to, had to have occurred that made him change his mind, change his behavior. And that's something, yeah. frankly, that all of us need to do, right? I mean, in our own way, we're all consuming too much for the planet to, to continue to sustain us. So we all have to find a way to, to change our behavior, change our mind, change the way we do things. What was it for this guy that made him decide, I'm going to do something different today? Yeah, there were two main things here. The first is education, continuously educating. Uh, whether they, they, you know, they feel like they're receiving or they are not receiving the message, we keep educating, educating them. The second thing is to uh, also understand them, making them our friends, because we don't consider uh, those people, the people we are educating just as subject. No, we are, we make them understand that we are a family. And being a family means that we also care for them. Uh, it also means that when they have uh, issues with uh, issues, maybe uh, with fishing, uh, or maybe uh, they, you know, they need alternative income, we help them uh, create this alternative income. Uh, Papa Mensa, the, the fisherman I was just talking about, he has received a training on snail farming. And today he has uh, two boxes. In the beginning, we gave him one box, and now he has two boxes of snails that he's growing and he can, he can sell to, to, the, to, the, to his neighborhood. And, oh, and also, one time when there was a, a turtle that came and dig in front of his house and knocked down his uh, antenna, his uh, TV antenna. And, uh, you know, he, what he did is that he saved the turtle, he released the turtle back into the water, and he took a picture and sent it to us. But to show him that we are compassionate about his TV antenna, we bought a new one and gave it to, to him. <laughs> so that's his family spirit. Right. And when they don't feel that, that family spirit, it's difficult for them to abide to the conservation message yeah. we are giving them. You've talked a lot about your, uh, you, or you've used the word education a lot here in the last few, the last few minutes. You also spend a lot of time in schools in Cameroon educating the kids on the importance, not just of manatees, but on conservation more generally. Why are you doing that? And, and what, what are some of the kind of hopeful signs that you're seeing from working so closely with the kids? Yeah. So for us, working with the kids is a great opportunity to act in the future, to change the future, because those kids are the future. If it's difficult to change the mind of their parents uh, today, I think it's easier to change the mind of those children because it's still a fresh mind. 
they are still very open. It's like a, you know, a white book on which we can write whatever we want. And we can start to write good things about the environment or bad things. But we decide to write, you know, like good things uh, in that, in their memory, so that when they will become adult, they will remember that protecting environment is key. And even if they end up doing the same activity their parent is doing currently, they will do it differently. They will avoid uh, killing malady because they, are, they grew up with that education. And uh, we, are, we are very hopeful that in the next 20, 30 years, the perception of the local community about uh, the African manatee and other species will be completely transformed. So what, one of the, the main areas of focus with Global Conservation Corps, um, particularly in the last few months, has been um, conducting field trips where we take kids um, who live in the communities near Kruger National Park in Northeast South Africa into the park, give them the, the same level of, of a trip that you would if you were an American visiting, visiting the park. Um, because what we have found is that even though these, these communities are directly adjacent to one of the world's most magnificent protected areas, Kruger National Park, very few residents of the communities have an opportunity to actually go into the park, to see nature, to appreciate nature, to appreciate mm -hmm. the animals that live in the park. And therefore there, there's no connection, right? They don't, yeah. they don't understand the importance and nor should they uh, yeah. uh, between human activity and nature and, and how they're actually dependent on very, on each other. And, and so you're doing that as well, right? I mean, you're actually taking kids into nature in the hopes that they better appreciate the connection they have to nature. Exactly. You know, I, I was just laughing because that's ex the exact situation that happened in uh, uh, around Lekosa, where, you know, Lekosa is a protected area, a wildlife reserve. And uh, just like uh, a couple of meters away from the lake, you have schools. But those two, those children never had the chance to, have never had the chance to go to the lake. Uh, to appreciate, you know, the beauty of uh, what they have in their community. And that's why through the uh, environmental education we provide them, you know, is to open their mind, to allow them to appreciate uh, what they have, how precious it is, and how they can do to protect it. And we don't just limit ourselves in the providing uh, indoors, indoor courses, but we take them out in the nature. Uh, this year, I think we did about uh, two or three trips where we took the students into the lake. It was their first time to enter a boat, uh, as well as a motorized boat. Uh, we could see how happy the children was uh, being in the boat, uh, seeing birds, even though they couldn't see the African manatee because of the, uh, the dark water, but they could see birds, they could see trees. We went on an island on the middle of the lake. Uh, we were able to uh, sit down and did have some good picnicking. And what we did also is that we invited some fishermen in the uh, fishermen of the lake to come and have a discussion with, this, with those students to exchange, to let them, uh, so that they could you know, share their experience with the children and the children could also ask the question, you know, to the fishermen in such a way that, you know, there will be a positive communication about, you know, the environment, about, um, you know, the fisheries and about the African manatee. 
So this next question I'm going to ask you, I ask a lot of people on this podcast, and, and I must admit, when I ask them the question, I'm, I'm often filled with dread uh, for the answer that might be forthcoming, but I'm actually filled with a lot of hope uh, with what I'm about to ask you, which is, do you foresee a future of where humans and nature can coexist, where humans are actually adding to the value of nature rather than just continually taking from it? Uh, so that's exactly the, the vision of AMCO, which is to uh, who is forcing an Africa where uh, human and wildlife, especially aquatic megafauna, will live in perfect harmony. I believe that there's still a way and a room for us to change our habit. I mean, it's not to the wildlife to change because they are where they have been for many, many years. We are the one who shifted our habit to take more from nature than we really need. You know, look at how many waste we are producing, how many, how we're harvesting, and we're not even using all what we are harvesting. Uh, so it's to us to be conscious and say, oh, we took the, the wrong track. It's time to come back to the right track and do things positively and the right way so that we can be in perfect harmony with nature. Otherwise, the nature, you know, we scribe back as what we as we're seeing now, uh, a lot of uh, natural disaster happening around the world. Uh, you know, flooding, uh, hurricanes, you know, climate change, and that's a sign that the the nature is giving, modern nature is giving us to say, hey guys, you have to uh, rethink and rework your way of doing things. You know, you have to align with nature, and I believe that this will happen especially with the future generation, which is, which is becoming more and more educated about the importance of nature. So how do listeners of this podcast, even if they're not a, a scientist like you, you know, a trained scientist with a PhD, or, uh, you know, living in, a, living in or near a protected area like Kruger National Park, how can they help not only themselves and their families and their communities, but just society more generally, find that balance that you are talking about? The first thing I would advise them to do is, you know, to pass the message around, you know, talk to people. Uh, never stop, you know, educating people around you on the importance of uh, wildlife, especially about the African manatee, which is, by the way, uh, the least known marine mammal of the world. Uh, so it's important that people become aware of that. And this is easy to do, right? Like just passing the word, discussing about nature with our friends, family, and colleagues. And the other thing that is important is now is for each of us to minimize our footprint. And this is about our daily habit, you know. What do we buy? Uh, what type of waste are we producing? Uh, what type of uh, transportation are we using? I think this is... Uh, something that is simple to do at our individual level. And uh, I really, um, you know, I encourage uh, the listeners uh, to really uh, try to minimize their footprint. And uh, the other thing that they can do is to volunteer, like volunteering with, you know, those NGO uh, that are, are protecting uh, wildlife, that are helping to save our, our health, you know, there's always a way to, to volunteer. And the last thing, you know, and which is not the least, is to donate. 
uh, we are NGO and we usually rely on the funding from from uh, donors. Uh, the government doesn't really provide uh, support to us. And if not uh, the donations from, you know, people who care, like our listeners, we will not have uh, the opportunity to do what we are doing, even if we are we have the, the strong will to do it. So donating will help the people who are in the field to do the right job and to save uh, nature and save wildlife. Thank you. Those are three great suggestions and just... Tarasi, thank you so much for this, the last, in particular, few minutes of this conversation. I'm just, I'm, I'm filled with so much hope and excitement about the, not only the work you're doing, but how the, how the, how people like you are, are just making really impactful change. So I want to ask you one last question on this and, and to pick up on this theme of hope. You know, we started the conversation, to be honest, talking about a lot of threats, a lot of risks, be they you know, big infrastructure projects, big development projects, the poaching, the environmental risks to creatures like the manatees and the sea turtles. Yet we've kind of evolved into a conversation filled with hope and, and about a hopeful future. What is it that gives you so much hope about a better future? I mean, what motivates you to do your job every day? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah, but challenging question too. I know because as you say, uh, seeing the rate at which uh, economic development is, uh, you know, overwhelming uh, conservation needs. Sometimes it can, you know, it can create some discouragement. But I have hope because from the what I've experienced on the field with this community in the Costa, see how they were able to change the way. Uh, they interact with the African manatee by and now being uh, one of their greatest advocate. I believe that other people around the world, you know, all those big uh, industries around the world could also could also change. And I'm also hopeful because we are seeing more and more uh, strong message about nature conservation uh, growing up. Even in those industries, we've seen some industries as having a department in charge of uh, sustainable development. And I believe that each day will do what is right so that uh, we're going to avoid the catastrophe and, uh, and align with nature. That's a great way to, to end this conversation, Aristide. And thank you so much for your time today. I think more important, thank you for just the wonderful work you're doing and the, and the commitment to a better world. It's, it really is inspiring. And, and it's just, this has really been a fun conversation to, to have with you. So thank you. And I would say to all those uh, listening to the podcast, um, please visit the, the page on our website dedicated to Aristide's work where you can learn more about what he's doing and, and how you can get engaged and, and see the impact that he and, and so many others are having in places like Cameroon. So Aristide, again, thank you so much for your time today and all the work you're doing. Thank you, bro. Take care. Oh, she will be